listeners, welcome to the First Time Film Podcast. I am your host, Ian Shearer. It's official, I have crawled my way up the first time corporate ladder from guest to guest that keeps turning up, and now, after my toiling efforts, I've claimed a middle management role from the tight fist of our supreme leader, David Campbell. Speaking of repeat guests, today I'm joined by my two wonderful guests, Aaron Michael, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I am not too bad, and Ailey Lone, how are you today? Hello, I'm good, how's yourselves? I'm not too shabby, not too shabby at all, and I'm glad to hear you're good as well. Right, Grant, so before we jump into uh, discussing today's film, I think we want to take a wee minute to chat about the death of uh, the actor Chadwick Boseman, who unfortunately passed away at the end of last month. A tragedy for Marvel fans and cinema fans alike, the Black Panther star died after a four-year-long battle with colon cancer, uh, which is uh, just terrible. So, Ailey, were you a fan of his? I didn't know anything until I did some research about the Black Panther films and then also realised that he actually played one of my favourite um, musicians, was it James Brown that he played? In yeah, film? he played James Brown yeah. in um, and, um, that called Get On Up or something. Yeah, yeah. I need to go back and watch it because I grew up listening to James Brown's music and my dad loves him and I think, you know, to be so young and still be that inspirational to so many young people around the world and especially the legacy he's left behind for young black actors is just absolutely incredible and also just so unfortunate to lose an amazing inspirational man and talent um to again this horrible horrible cancer disease and every every single person in the world's been affected by cancer and um can relate to can relate to what he went through and what his family have gone through so it's just it's such a heartbreaking thing when you when you do hear of an actor that you know has created such a legacy um to to pass away so early on um so yeah, definite definite thoughts out to his all his friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, he was definitely was especially in been in so many like great like black centric films. Um, from playing Marshall in the film Marshall to storming in uh, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, which I like, I loved his performance in that. Yeah, that's the other one. So, yeah, so yeah, it was uh, so it was really fantastic. So it really is a shame to see him go so early. Um, what about you, Henry? You a fan of his movies? Oh, absolutely. Um. It took me a while to watch Black Panther for some reason. Um, I don't know why. I think it was just because it wasn't a part of the the original, like couple of films. But as soon as I did, it was like one of the most rewatchable ones I think out of that series. Um, and when I was doing some research, it was so interesting. Um, it was rumored that he totally fought for um, kind of like that African blend accent to be used instead of like an English American one. Because uh, why the hell would you create a land that is supposed to kind of have this like African kind of base and then fill it with Americans? Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, so he That's and amazing. some of his cast members fought for that, supposedly. Um, yeah. Because yeah. obviously oh, yeah. American English would like work better, maybe. Probably not. Sure, I mean, but, it was yeah. stuff like that which made uh, the Black Panther so distinctive among some of the other kind of blandish MCU MCU films that had this fantastic visual style and the African motifs were just like just made it such a kind of wonderful kind of visual experience visual experience in it uh, that definitely I didn't know that was uh, Chadwick Boseman that thought for that that's actually really interesting it's amazing to see that though isn't it or, or to, to hear things like that and then when you read about it because you know until that film you know seeing a superhero or seeing these sort of huge big Hollywood blockbuster films that are action-packed you know, you you don't realise how privileged you are to go to the cinema and watch that as a white person because that's what's on your screen all the time. And yeah. for 
a young black kid to go and watch that film and you know I, I seen a video I think it circulated Twitter actually of you know there's a classroom full of children going to see this film and they were all just screaming and all so excited <laughs> and you were thinking that's what film's about that's what art's about and it's just incredible to see you know the impact that that's had on yeah. on um yeah, yeah absolutely black people and yeah it's just it's just such a sad sad loss yeah, it's a shame, and it's crazy. Um, I read that um, he was working the whole way through. Obviously, he was working the whole way through his struggle with cancer because it was in 2016 that he got diagnosed, but uh, he never made it public, obviously, before his death at the end of last month. Uh, I read that he was going for like chemotherapy sessions in between shoot days, and that wow. was while working on Defy Bloods and also in Marshall, which I just thought was absolutely mind-boggling. Like, <laughs> like, like it's, struggle, it's a struggle enough, never mind having to like pull off like these fantastic acting performances. So really, it's, uh, it's a, such a shame. Especially in a film like that as well. You know, this isn't just, you know, a little two-hander that's not got a lot of movement or anything like that. And this is a full-on, you know, huge, huge, big action-packed film. And you're thinking, to go through that, again, that's just unbelievably inspirational to anybody that's fighting any kind of illness to show that you still can keep achieving things and keep doing things and you need to keep going. And, you know, it's just... It's just amazing. It's just absolutely incredible to, to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, fantastic. He was an inspiration for that fantastic actor and he'll definitely uh, be missed. So, rest easy, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, you're an inspiration. Anyway, uh, after some sad topics, we got, uh, well, I mean, now we're talking about a somewhat sad, maniacal film. <laughs> so, let's, <laughs> let's move on. So, let's get on to the topic of today's discussion. Uh, set in the 1890s off the coast of New England, The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers, tells the tale of two lighthouse keepers, Ephraim Winslow, a young runaway, and Thomas Wake, an old seaman, as they try to maintain their sanity while stranded on a lighthouse island. So uh, I just wanted to get your first impression straight off the bat. So uh, uh, we'll start with you, Erin. What did you think of it overall? What the madness, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't think Absolutely. my wee head can like keep up with it. Um, a friend of mine like described it as it's like a really it's got the like bits of really really nice cars, but it just doesn't drive. Mm. And I thought that was quite good. Like it's like got. I don't know, there's something missing for me. I think it was the ending. Um, that everything was there, but something was just like, just didn't click with me. Oh, and I don't know if that's just because it's like, yeah. But it also felt like a bit like a, um art school degree show, <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree. It definitely does get a little bit artsy-fartsy uh, for its own good sometimes. Uh, but yeah, definitely, we can uh, we can actually we can dive into that. Uh, what about first impressions for you, Ailey? Yeah, very similar. I thought it was absolutely mad. It was crazy. And I think it was one of those films I watched during the daytime. So, it, you know, watching that at night, I think I'd have been absolutely petrified because it's yeah. just so crazy and there's all these, you know, there's definite definite themes to unpick. But, yeah, I, I, was, I was very much the same as Erin. There was something about that ending that I just wasn't convinced by. Like, I loved, I did love the madness and I loved where, you know, some of the crazy parts took us and then just to have that end, that was a bit confused almost I was like how, wait how did this happen um, <laughs> yeah yeah did any of it happen it's one of those ones you know kind of yeah. island sort of thing and it's yeah um mad that's I think that's the word that we both use there mad so, <laughs> mad, mad, madness <laughs> seems to be the uh the, the hot <laughs> word today 
<laughs> absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you're abs- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just like. Uh, I mean, considering it's a film about <laughs> it's a film about insanity and insanity, I think Mad would probably be a, a good way to describe it. There's also something about watching two people, you know, in a similar way, being isolated in this one or you know a very small space, and then we've all just kind of gone through that as well, and not in obviously this crazy way that they have, but you know, we have all been stuck somewhere not had the ability to kind of escape or go out or anything like that and there's something kind of you're watching that going see you're in lockdown did all this bad stuff happen and we've just came to the other end of it what's going on yeah i think it's uh, it's kind of it's funny that you bring that up but i think it is like i think this might be a reason this could maybe hit home for a lot of people this movie mm-hmm. considering the like recent uh recent pandemic obviously like uh, people being locked in people um having to deal with uh, their own kind of mental struggles in an isolated isolated way obviously not quite as isolated as uh, Ephraim and Thomas because we have uh, Netflix and we have uh, hot chocolate and we have all the things we have all the things to keep us yeah we definitely uh, have us up the level. don't we <laughs> yeah it sounds pretty brutal for them uh, so let's uh, like jump in a little bit um, so uh, we talked. You were talking a little bit how you thought it was a little bit kind of artsy farts there, and um, so mm-hmm. did you enjoy the visual style, the the kind of odd, kind of square aspect ratio on the black and white? Yeah, to an, I think to an extent. I think if it was a slightly shorter film, how long was it? I can't. Uh, I think it was like just uh, just under two just hours. Under two, yeah. Yeah. See, I think if it was like shorter, like if the point was like it was an hour and like five, then maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, you kind of get that, especially these kind of like because it does it is kind of slows to a kind of crawling pace at some points. Yeah, I suppose that's the like, point. Really... Like we're all yeah, thrusted into this strange horribleness as well. Um, but yeah, I think if it was slightly shorter, then it would like become less of a novelty and more of a reason. Whereas it felt because it was so long, it was more novelty because it was like putting you back into the time where they actually used those square ratios yeah yeah absolutely i mean yeah i think it's like it kind of although it does look really it does look really cool it does kind of end up being a little bit of a little bit of a gimmick maybe just because yeah. it's like just because it's just like that okay it's the 1890s but uh so it looks like the 1890s yeah. Um. It actually reminded me of another film. It was a, a British independent film called uh, Bait. I don't know if uh, any of you guys saw that. Mm-mm. But they used a similar thing where it was like it was all black and white square aspect aspect ratio, and it was all about a kind of um, small fishing village uh, down in the way south of England. Uh, but it was actually set in 2018. So mm-hmm. it's like uh, I feel like they just uh, it was a juxtaposition there, which I think actually might have worked better because you kind of see this kind of old grainy footage and kind of old sounding. Um, like dialogue and stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, you're also seeing like MacBooks and like. <laughs> oh, and that sounds like that. really cool. So yeah, I think so because like that's really about the kind of um, the the economy, the economies in these fishing villages getting uh, like torn down by, well not not torn down or the the, the economy's falling apart because there's a lot of kind of rich people coming and buying holiday homes and renting out places Airbnb, renting out places as Airbnb. So the fishing economy's dying. So it's about that kind of like cross between the kind of old-fashioned ways and these kind of like new capitalistic things but i think it yeah i think it i think it did look cool but um what about you uh what about you Ailey? what did you think about the kind of visual style yeah i i did like it i did enjoy it i, I think the interesting choice there of what you've said is that co- sort of contrast between you know something that is shot um you know i just kept thinking as well of how much this film costs because i know shooting on film is 
pretty expensive and this is a two-hour film and you're mm-hmm. thinking I just I wonder what it was to actually make I've not looked um but I wonder what it was to actually t- to make it I'm sure it'd be pretty expensive but and so, uh, you know I did like it and what I was just about to say actually about there's something about what you said about bait you know the modern lifestyle but it's filmed in quite you know an old-fashioned style I think there's something really nice about that with this as well I'm thinking if this was shot in a modern way, what would the effect of that be? I think there's so much more to play with, with, with colour and with, you know, the sort of visual effects of things like the mermaids and all these weird things mm. that happen. It could have been a lot more trippy and weird um, mm. than it was. But, yeah, I think there's good points and bad points to both both sides of the way it has been shot. Um, that, that sort of gradient on the old-fashioned sort of films and stuff, I think, is, is spooky as well. So it's yeah. like all those sort of old horror films sure. to that as well. So, yeah, but I do agree. Some of it was just really artsy and, you know, kind of there, for, as, as Erin said as well, like, what was the purpose of this? It was more just, you know, you know the, the visual of it and you, you think, well, what, is, what has that got to do with the story? But um, it did look cool. Um, yeah. If it was an hour film, I think I'd agree with that. But two hours, you're kind of the novelties you both said kind of wears off. I think. Sure. Um, class. Well. Um. Yeah. I mean, in its, in its defense, I think it like yeah, it definitely, it definitely was a a, a cool visual style. I think the mm-hmm. I think maybe the black and white show maybe showed the kind of how kind of dire it was. How kind of dire it was. Like uh, like there's no color. There's no fucking like because it's just they'd look out into the kind of grey abyss and it just looks mm. horrible and it's just yeah, crashing true. crashing yeah. death waves but uh no no i think i think uh i think we're definitely all in agreement there there's kind of there is a lot that could have played especially if it was black and white maybe if they could have played around with some sort of color even though it was black and white i think that definitely could have added to the uh added to the kind of trippy experiences we saw them kind of descend into like insanity that last scene i thought was really cool though and it worked so well in the black and white when he's you know at the light and he's going it's just that sort of crazy before he falls down the stairs you know that bit i just thought yeah. it was absolutely terrifying sure. <laughs> i think had that been in color it would have been different um but i don't know i don't know what do you guys think of it being like is it something that we're just so used to is is seeing films in color I, I, I halfway through my imagination started to think what the colours of it would have been, and I don't think it would have been dissimilar to, as you said, being really grey and bleak, but I don't know, is it just because we're maybe used to it that we're sort of, I don't know if it's put off films in black and white, or we're just like, oh, that's so old, or... Uh, well, yeah, I think it's just because like, we've got we've got so used to the kind of use of colour, and I think uh, because it's such a deliberate choice, um, that uh, like, we should be playing around with kind of colour and like black and white just for black and white's sake... Because obviously it was a it was a um, technological kind of hurdle that they had to cross when mm-hmm. films were in black and white, but yeah. uh, like nowadays, like we have this opportunity to play around with color. But uh, so I th- yeah, I think I think it's a definitely a good question. But anyway, talking about uh, that last scene in the in the thing, I think that was definitely aided by Robert Pattinson's performance. So oh, I thought I'd want to talk a little bit about because uh, obviously it was a two hander carried pretty much solely by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Uh, I wanted to see what you guys thought. Like, what did you think of their performances? Uh, let's start with like what we thought of Robert Pattinson, because uh, obviously he's had a bit of a rebirth lately. It seems you know he's 
kind of he's like, a busy broken. busy man eh? yeah it seems like he, yeah. <laughs> yeah of course it seems like he's kind of broken through a bit from these like kind of teen heartthrob roles like yeah. in twilight and then uh, when he was cedric yeah, Gary, Harry Potter. and yeah now he's more a kind of serious actor and de- I, you know I, I'd, i'm happy for him he's definitely a capable actor and i think he definitely showed that with this film uh, what mm-hmm. did you guys think we'll start with uh, you Aaron. um I, I think he was brilliant. I think he was absolutely fantastic. Um, a lot of the time, I, I really needed subtitles. Um, yeah. But maybe it, that, I suppose, it's not performance-related. Uh, it was so intense. Like, I wonder what the prep was for that um, and how, like, the, the kind of aftercare you have to do for yourself coming out of yeah. those, like, super intense... Yeah, of like, course. ...isolating performances, Yeah. Yeah, because it kind of reminds you of like, uh, you know, when Heath Ledger played the Joker, like he lock himself himself in the room and (laughs) scribble things, (laughs) scribble things, and that obviously like kind of almost drove him mad. I wonder what that experience was like for Alan Parsons. There was definitely, there was one scene, it was like uh, um, Thomas Wake was sleeping and uh, Ephraim holds up a knife and he's about to stab him. Before he steal, before he steals the key, and he just had this manic look in his eyes, and it was at that moment I was like, I like Robert Pattinson's absolutely nailed this. Like this is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, what about what about you, Ellie? What did you think about uh, uh, Big Pats? Uh, do you know I'm such a massive fan, and like even going back to the sort of you know teen heartthrob things that he did, like out of the whole Twilight series, I just thought you know. I wasn't the biggest fan of the Twilight films, but I was a big fan of him. I think everything that he does, he hits and he nails, and I'm, I'm yeah, a real, real big fan of him. Um, and just, I, th- I just thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, all the, all the little like moments that he had of like that sort of like working up to the sort of manic part at the end was just brilliant and just massive, massive fan of. And he had some moustache in that film as well. Oh, that's beautiful. Glorious <laughs> moustache. Um, great costume, great costume design. I love that as well. But no, mm-hmm. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And it's so true. Like, a performance like that, I think good performances like that have to cost you. And that's coming out of that must have been a really scary thing. And even going into it, understand that I'm going to play someone that is going to, you know, lose their sanity is, is really scary because that could become really gimmicky or could become really unconvincing um and stereotypical but I think he just got it absolutely spot on and captured what someone stuck on this then in this lighthouse with this other crazy irrational man would would be and I yeah big fan tick, a huge tick from me <laughs> yeah totally yeah uh, yeah I thought it was totally excellent and also I don't know if you guys have seen Tenet yet the new Christopher Nolan film which was a total like mind fuck <laughs> by the way like make sure, you're pay- make sure you're paying attention when you watch it because if you stop paying attention for two seconds you'll lose it but um, so after seeing his performance, I've seen performance in uh, Tenet. I, I've got to say, like, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table uh, when he's going to be in the the Batman film, which is coming out later this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, because uh, like I've seen them in this, and it, I can show that he can play this kind of like complex kind of mental mental struggle, and then also he can play the kind of suave, cool kind of suave, cool character that he plays in te- kind of plays in Tenet because he plays this kind of smooth english kind of bond film? sidekick do you know that film it was timothy Chalamet. is it called the king is it called the king and robert Pattinson's in that and he's if you watch him in that as well he's he steals the film for me i love timothy Chalamet, big fan as well mm-hmm. but robert Pattinson mm-hmm. comes into that film and absolutely steals it he's so funny and manipulative and 
just completely different from Lighthouse and, you know, Harry Potter and Twilight and all of these other films. I think he's such a versatile actor. Sure. Because he was great in, um, he was also great in Good Time, you know, the, the Safdie Brothers film that came out back in 2016 or 17, yeah, uh, where he yeah. plays that kind of runaway, runaway criminal. So he really, he really is like kind of showing his true colours these days, uh, apart from the fact that he's in black and white in this one. But uh, like, I think he's just really coming across, like, really coming across really well. I thought he was excellent. He's painting so, himself in a really good way as well in terms of like what he's doing with Batman and you know the, the sort of interviews and stuff that he's given about not wanting to bulk up for the role and he doesn't sort of believe in that stereotypical body type for men and I think that's really really great to have someone who is in the industry has been in the industry for a long time and take on a role like Batman and be really open to saying that I'm not going to give you the whole really fit crazy body that is expected to play a superhero I think that's absolutely great spot on yeah absolutely well now that we've uh showered uh showered robert patterson with, uh, <laughs> yeah, with, uh, liters of praise too much for me. yeah yeah i think we, yeah i think uh, we're all getting, yeah i'm getting a bit getting a bit hot in here talking about him <laughs> but um let's talk a little bit about willem defoe i mean thomas wake he's a real nasty bitter old bugger wasn't he um I thought that Willem Dafoe also absolutely nailed it. I think they've made such a great kind of two-hander, the kind of adversarial relationship that they had throughout the whole film. I thought really they really bounced off each other really well. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was funny that you mentioned about putting the subtitles on because uh, like that accent that Willem Dafoe had, like <laughs> sometimes I was expecting him to like have an eye patch and a parrot in his shoulder, hey. like oi matey. There was like points where I'm like, are they speaking another language? <laughs> It was just like, I, yeah, I couldn't put it together sometimes. Yeah, and the way he kind of... Oh, sorry, on you go. Uh, no, it's just the way, and he kind of talks in these kind of platitudes and yeah. platitudes and old shanty, old shanty tales that you have no idea quite what he's on about. <laughs> what they mean. It's good <laughs> yep. when Robert Paris's character turns around and sort of calls him out on that. Obviously, it's through, you know, a very aggressive sort of... Yeah, of course it is. A parody of Kills him, I think. Yeah, yeah parody, that's the word, yeah. He calls him a parody. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And just yeah. his reaction to that, you know, it's sort of, he's almost embodied, right? Well, I'm going to be at sea. I'm going to just take on what, I, what, what I'm supposed to, sort of this character I'm almost supposed to play. And <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that they kind of, that, um, Robert Pattinson's character like pulled him up on pulled him up on it because yeah. I think if if they just left it in like that I think it would have been like again uh, uh it's taking itself a wee bit too seriously with the it would have been a parody <laughs> stuff yeah exactly it would have kind of been like they're like all oh, right they're really leaning really lean into this like semen thing but really it is a lot of just kind of riddles and riddles and jokes and strange <laughs> patter that nobody really understands I'd love to know how they learnt that script must have taken a bloody age. Yeah, I know, and yeah, practicing those accents as well mm-hmm. must have been must have been mad getting into that. I bet, like, <laughs> I bet uh, uh, Willem Dafoe was like calling everyone "me lad" for a while after <laughs> after, after the film. It was just uh, I became part of his uh, part of his regular speech. He's got some list of films, hasn't he? He like I've got his IMDb up just now, and the amount of films this guy's been in is just remarkable. Yeah, because yeah, he's been he's been all over the shop. I think he actually started his career like in the theater, and it wasn't even like in some kind of regular theater trip. He was part of the um, I cannot remember their name, uh, but they're basically this like super kind of weird avant garde theater group that do all that weird stuff like yeah, get, experimental get, yeah, get getting naked and yelling random words and the nobody Worcester really knows what's going on the whole day. The Worcester group, that's it. 
But uh, yeah, so I mean, he really, like, I mean, he's another very versatile actor. I'd say that the casting of the film was absolutely excellent. I think Willem Dafoe, I think he just has that kind of face. And he was also donning a fantastic beard. Uh, let's not, um, <laughs> let's not uh, uh, lose credit there for that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I thought, that, I thought the casting was excellent. Uh, Willem Dafoe just really brought this kind of, kind of, I don't know how to describe it apart from just making that noise. It there. says on his Wikipedia here, right? He is known for his gravelly voice, his distinct gravelly voice. So perfect casting, really. You just need to read that. You're like, yeah, he's our man. Yeah, so I mean, uh, really the casting was excellent. The, the, the performances definitely uh, car carried the film through because they were just like, uh, I think the way they bounced off each other and the relationship that developed between them, even just in the kind of acting sense from the kind of shouting and arguing to having these kind of quiet moments, these kind of quiet moments where they actually kind of connect and have a laugh to the points where they're having a shanty and a jig and they're <laughs> drinking jet fuel, jet, jet fuel, drinking oil, oil mixed with honey and uh, dancing up and down. I can imagine that the, they must have developed some sort of relationship through that because I can imagine that they, they must have spent so much time in each other's presence just as the characters did. Just, I think I read that they were actually down. only on set for 34 days or something like that. It's either 32 or 34 days. Because I can't imagine it was a long film to shoot. Um, yeah, all the same locations. Yeah, exactly. It's only a few locations. It's two. It's a two-hander. But to yeah, to to have that length of time, usually you've got you know a couple months or even you know at least two months or whatever, and to do that and have that sort of intimate relationship because obviously we're exploding it over a length of a length of time. How long are they stuck on? on the in the lighthouse for is it's weeks isn't it so yeah i mean i, f I feel like they kind of are they deliberately leave it dubious like they kind of like slowly lose track of any sense time, of time yeah, like yeah, uh, nice. i think uh, th there's a time where uh, there's a time where wonderful i think he's just trying to manipulate Ephraim, but uh he says like how long have we been here two days three weeks seven months mm. something like that so it really could have been any it really could have mm. been any amount of time but i think that's another thing they captured really well that kind of like you as an audience member don't know how long's passing totally. and you're see you're basically like just diving into this rabbit hole <laughs> rabbit hole yeah. with them yeah that's so true it's it is very I, I suppose again like bringing it back to our reality like you know I, I felt like that during lockdown at times I mean I know this is a complete different you know <laughs> scenario but just as a comparison of you know being stuck somewhere um is, is you, you, I was feeling like I don't know what, what day or the week it was or how long we'd even been, you know, what was what was the time of the day, whatever, was it two weeks, two, two months that we'd been in lockdown and imagine just that situation heightened and being in their environment and their setting, you, of course you would lose your mind. I don't think there's any sort of other narrative of this film that could be like and everyone was fine and everything was great and they got off mm. the island and it was all wonderful I think stuck there with two people and no escape and nothing else around you but just you know the landscape of just sea and sea and sea you would absolutely begin to imagine seeing things and, sure. and it's just a very very yeah scary scary thing for anybody to go through and I think the reality of that was captured really well even though it was a really crazy mad film and there's all these sort of you know, trippy things going on. You saw, as you said, like the reality and the little moments when he was maybe going to kill him and all those kind of things are so realistic. 
Sure, because I mean, he really is just ragging on. He's <laughs> just absolutely ragging on a frame the whole movie. There was times where I was like, I was just like, just stab, just stab him, just, just do go it. for it. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, I'm tired of his shit as well. Just do it. <laughs> but there's maybe a little bit of fear there. Like if I do kill him, I'm the only one, and then what happens to me? And it's you know, as that thing, he's annoying and he's you know this really nasty, horrible person. But he is the only person. So just to have a little bit of human company is is it worth having just that and his attitude oh, yeah. and the way he was versus just being on that island on your own knowing that you've murdered someone yeah. is a bit it's a bit scary yeah absolutely well let's talk a little bit about the kind of like dissension and the madness i was i was kind of thinking do you think that because obviously we find out that Ephraim's real name was actually tommy and he was uh, running away because he'd um well, he didn't uh, necessarily kill, but he was responsible responsible for the death oh, yeah, of uh, yeah. of uh, his last his last boss. So, um, do you think maybe he was already a bit mad when he got to the island? Uh, do you think maybe uh, like this was he was doomed from he was doomed from the start, racked with guilt? I mean, most likely, I think you have to be a bit bonkers to like really want to do that job as well, um, <laughs> because like, you're you're actively knowing you're going into isolation, so you kind of have to have some sort of like semblance of sanity um but i suppose is it insane to think that you're like saying yeah of course going into that. Mm, Grant, yeah. and i think yeah and i think that's the uh, like why Tom, thomas like believes in all these superstitions you know he can't kill it you can't kill a seabird that ended up being the big one <laughs> but uh which yeah but i think that like uh they kind of drop all this um kind of foreshadowing that they're probably going to die like whether it's the the fact that he broke the good luck charm by murdering that seagull which was oh that was horrible so, wasn't it which yeah. is so disturbing but uh to like the fact that even just like uh, and this is some of the stuff that i thought was really great about it is like anytime they looked out at the sea when the storm was going out it was just these hor- like you know this horrific horrifically huge waves like certain death was surrounding them like the entire time and I, I think loved that was... the sound design of it. I thought that was that sort yeah. of, you know, that sort of not a siren or it was, it was, it was like a sort of ship or the horn or something like that. Yeah, that kind of hum that we just yeah. came the whole way through. It was so brilliant. I just, yeah, I thought I'm just trying to find a look at the sound designer who, well, who did the music? Mark Covern. Oh, loved that. Thought it was so great, and that was a real driving force for the film as well. There was just that look. Anytime something a bit eerie was happening, there would be like a, it was sounds from where we were. It wasn't anything necessarily unrealistic. And it was just night, it was those like, you know, it would be louder, the seagulls would be louder. So I thought it was just, yeah, really, really clever, cleverly done. No, absolutely. And um, so, like, uh, it seems, uh, well, I mean, I feel like we're kind of watching from Ephraim's point of view. But do you think that Thomas was also trying to hold? Hold on himself a bit. Do you think he was losing? Do you think he was losing it too, or do you think he was in the level when uh, Ephraim was the one? Ephraim was the one completely losing it. Um, there's something about like the way that he, as we we talked about, him being an almost like a parody that he convinces himself of these stories, and there is, I think, there is a, a fear that he has of losing his mind. So he, you know, he sticks to these sort of stories that he says and the, the sort of what it is to be a sailor kind of thing. Um, yeah, of course. That's his character. That's who he takes on to play, because the reality is, if he is just a person and he is just himself, he knows he's sure. lose his mind. Yeah, because he's he kind of it seems it seems that's actually a really good point because maybe it seems like he's kind of 
he's kind of losing himself. He's kind of losing himself. He just has to inhabit this old seaman because there's a point where Ephraim didn't even believe that Thomas was a was a sailor before he was a lighthouse keeper. Yeah, which I yeah. thought was an interesting. But so, I mean, do you guys believe that he was actually a seaman before, or do you think this is just the character that he plays to keep himself from uh, you know uh, whacking seagulls off the side of walls and uh, uh, masturbating furiously in the in the shed? <laughs> I don't know. There's something about that boy that would kill a seagull if he was a builder. <laughs> it was a really brutal scene, wasn't it? Like there was something just really silent about it, and you just hear. It's like, I find that was like what's really effective in films when sound is just you know there's nothing put over it, and you just see this guy absolutely whacking a seagull, and the thump of that, you're just thinking, oh my god, that's absolutely brutal. Yeah, I know it was crazy. Talking of things that are brutal. Um, there was this kind of weird sexuality around uh, around the whole film. I'm sure that, like, obviously they haven't seen they haven't seen their wives or their squeezes for the whole time that they're they're away, and there's that frustration, obviously, with the mermaid motif. And then there was obviously there was some weird thing going on with uh, Thomas and the and the actual light of the lighthouse. What do you think was going on there? Do you think he was uh, he'd fallen in love with the light? That is a bit crazy, isn't it? Imagine like I think I don't know if it's like a again one of these stories you know that the light possesses power or do you know that kind of thing and it's sure. i don't think it's necessarily him like falling in love with it i think it is this sort of you know religious thing and it's almost like a routine that he does this he goes up to the lighthouse and it's i don't know i thought that thing i thought that was quite strange and then i then i thought oh maybe that is just the thriller aspect of the film that was sure. the thing that for me was not very realistic like even the mermaid stuff was realistic for me because are they imagining it well you probably could and then therefore their madness is realistic but the lighthouse thing was the one thing i was just a bit like i don't i don't necessarily understand are we, i don't even yeah. supposed to understand but i just didn't really get it <laughs> sure yeah i know it's, it's, it's definitely a confused one erin did you have any theories on why uh thomas never let he frame up to the light like uh you had this kind of obsession and I don't understand. Yeah, and we don't understand what quite why uh, he let him up. Did you have any ideas? I don't know. I just thought it was kind of more of like a selfishness of like, you know, this is this is my special spot. Um, and maybe I suppose it's a bit about the if you're spending so much time with someone, you you want your own space. Um, and I wonder if that became so like encapsulating that he that that became his obsession with this is his space and no one will see it. Sure. Yeah. So he got he get to he gets to hold that over Thomas. Like he has the he has the boss. That's the one yeah. thing that he never lets him do. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. I, yeah. Because it was it was crazy, and I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, Twilight fan fiction writers that would like to see that scene, that scene <laughs> in the shed with uh, with Robert Pattinson, which was just yeah. whoa, deeply uncomfortable. And I think that's Ooh, just something yeah. that the film did really well, just like making these like really disturbing scenes because people are calling it people are calling it a horror film but i'm not sure i'm not sure it is a horror film it is it's disturbing but i don't think yeah. it's I, i'm not i'm not i'm not scared i think there's it's a lot more like kind of empathy it's a lot more kind of it's empathetic but uh yeah. it's, it's it's really hard it's really kind of difficult to unpack i think anything of, with oh sorry <laughs> oh, oh no uh, sorry just because uh, you just have to like uh my, my point was just that like, you have to Kind of unpack everything you're seeing. You're just being kind of assaulted sometimes with the stuff that you, the stuff that you're being made to watch. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah, so true. Just picked up on what I was going to going to point at. Like 
if you're doing anything, especially anything of a sexual nature in a film, like it's shocking no matter how many times you see it. And there's that there's that balance I think in this film where it is I don't know if this is the right sort of phrase, but it is it's done in a really horrible and exposing way and it's really disturbing to watch but it's done with res- almost respect because it isn't just a shock thing and I feel like a lot of films sometimes put something that or they sexualize something or they have you know like a big sex scene or someone um on screen doing or, or nudity or anything and it is a shock value and you go oh my goodness oh my goodness this is happening for that it was just like a another thing that was really uncomfortable for him to do and another like part of again leads into all the madness so I think it was like justified and because it happened like throughout the film as well you're beginning to think well you are away from as you said like your wife or the person you're with for that length of time these things are going to happen and then to add all the madness and craziness of isolation on top of that it then starts to become not a pleasurable thing but something that's really gritty and horrible therefore it is disturbing so I thought it was just done so so well um, as those scenes could definitely have been not um, as, as tasteful. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add there, No, I think, I think you wrapped that up pretty well. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to um, bring it back round uh, just before we finish up talking about the film here. So <laughs> in the, in in the kind of in the um, spirit of Twilight, do you think, did we think old Thomas had it coming? Are we team A-frame or are we team <laughs> Thomas? <laughs> the spirit of Twilight, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, so we, we, did old Thomas have it coming? Do you think he pushed Ephraim too far? Do you think he was uh, ragging on him too much? Do you think he deserved to get, do you think he deserved to get killed? Do you think he was pushing Ephraim over the edge or was Ephraim just out of control and an insubordinate and deserved to have severance without pay as uh, Thomas um, wrote in his report? <laughs> I think I think he was pushed a wee bit over the edge because like there was points where like he actively like tried to not say his name and like stuff like that. So there was like moments of actual like calculated annoyance. Sure. Um, so the wee bugger did deserve it. That's <laughs> 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 and what about you, Ailey? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think both of them eventually in the end are just as bad as each other, aren't they? Like. Um, but there's definitely that bullying aspect yeah um, and how how far can you push someone especially in the circumstances that they're under how far can you push somebody before they turn around and you know give you it back but 10 times as hard and that's I think what he got um but yeah I mean I don't think being buried alive is you know anyone's punishment that but Great, another great, great scene as well with him. Just that mud pile on top of his face. But um, yeah, I think I think he even saw it coming. He's like, "How far can I test this boy?" Oh, right, no, I've gone too far. Sure. Well, I think that just about wraps up our discussion of the film. I think we should uh, just do one last thing. You'd have to spill your beans and give us a <laughs> uh, give us a rating out of ten, just to see what you thought overall. Maybe uh, what do we think, Aaron? What do you reckon? I'm thinking, like, uh, I'm going to say 7.6. Mainly because uh, I have no patience for black and white and square ratio. <laughs> That's pretty Fair much enough. <laughs> and what about you, Ailey? What would you give it a 10? Well, I was actually going to give it a 7, but I think, yeah, I think that little point in there is is, is a great one. So I'll, I'll go the same as in. Nice one. Hey. Sure. 
It's about, about, about seven and a half. Well, I actually, I, I really loved it. Um, I thought that um, both Robert Pattinson and Willie Dafoe really just brought it home, and I thought the stuff that they're tapping into and the way that they drew drew you in, and uh, then just like shot, then just sh- drew you in and shocked you with like all the way that it descended into madness. It was just like I found found it really striking. Um, above anything but uh, I think you're right though like it did get quite slow it did get quite slow at parts and maybe some of the stuff was a wee bit artsy fartsy a little bit pretentious here and there but I'd probably give it like uh, maybe 8 8.3 8.3 so I really liked it but uh, grand so that concludes our discussion on The Lighthouse thank you very much for listening but we have a couple more things to discuss before we finish up today. So, first thing we're going to talk about is a, a new trailer has been released for the film Dune, which is being uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, uh, who's known for... One sec. He was known for uh, Blade Runner 49, uh, 2049, mm-hmm. which was the sequel to the Blade Runner film. And uh, he was also known for a few others, which I've completely forgotten the now. One second. Yeah, so... Uh, and the... Also did Arrival back in 2016. It was excellent. He also did Prisoners with, um, with oh, yeah. uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Why was I not excellent. even jumping in there to be like, oh, he did Prisoners? <laughs> Just did <laughs> an episode on that. So, I mean... Um, so he, he has a good he has a good run up until up until now. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward. I'm kind of looking forward to doing. What did you guys think of the trailer? Uh, we'll start with you, Ailey. Yeah, I'm a big fan, and I just um, as I said before, a real big fan of Timothy Chalamet as well. So anything with him, I think he's a solid actor. Um, and I yeah, again, I'm not huge on the whole like I like realistic films like even though Lighthouse is a bit mad and crazy like I love things that aren't necessarily like space and that kind of thing but apparently um David said in the last podcast that you know that will change after being a part of this and watching loads of action films but um yeah I'm excited yeah I'm really excited to 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 see it everything that Timothy Chalamet's done before has been quite um you know like Little Women and Mm -hmm. um, the barge and all these kind of films you know they're they're, they're quite realistic and yeah i'm just excited i'm excited to see what he, he does in a film like this um, yeah i mean yeah i mean it has an absolutely star-studded cast I and mean, Timothy chalamet's and daya oscar isaac jason momoa telling Skarsgård, dave batista do you see kind of strange albino dave batista showed up <laughs> i didn't yeah, realize that? that was half the cast i just like do you know that when you watch someone in a trailer and you don't realize it's them and you're like oh my gosh like you're that actor like it's just costume and everything else just completely transforms them but um what an amazing cast yeah so it definitely looks like an interesting one i mean yeah. uh, it's uh it's de- it definitely seems kind of kind of out there and crazy erin what do you think of the trailer i thought it was really good uh, a really really good trailer um but unfortunately timothy Chalamet has been ruined for me about the chlamydia scandal have you guys heard of this no so, yeah i know he went to oh god he went to nyu um, and supposedly gave like the majority of his year chlamydia. <laughs> jeez. Oh jeez. Oh. So now I can't look at Timothy Chalamet the same. Oh great, Chalamidia. Yeah. Oh yeah. sorry. Oh, oh I don't know. Yeah, don't know. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. It was sitting right there. It was, it right was, there. was, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, so I mean, it definitely looks like an interesting film. I mean, like um, the trailer, the trailer like uh, gives you, it gives you quite a lot and. Absolutely nothing at the same time. I thought, which, I mean, which is good for it. Which is good for a trailer. It looks kind of action packed. I mean, I'm definitely going to go and see it, but uh, we just have to see how that one goes. 
Uh, also in film news this week, there's a Dear Evan Hansen film coming out, which uh, got announced uh, recently. And uh, two new members of the cast uh, were announced lately. Uh, Amy Adams, uh, obviously of Arrival fame that we were just talking about before, and Julianne Moore, uh, who I know from The Big Lebowski, and I love her as Maud Lebowski in The Big Lebowski. But, um, I just wanted to uh, get, get, yeah, gauge your thoughts on this. Uh, what do you guys think about um I'm sure they're going to be playing the two mothers. Are you guys familiar with Dear Evan Hansen? Yeah. I am not at all, unfortunately. I have no knowledge other than it's a musical. All oh, right. Well, I mean, uh, well, to give you a quick rundown, it's like a it's a musical about kind of anxiety and mental health that follows the story of a kind of young social anxious boy who's played by Ben Platt in the Broadway version, which uh, I think he's going to be reprising his role, which we were talking about earlier. Even though he's meant to be a teenager, but he's clearly in his mid to late twenties. <laughs> I think you get away with it more in theatre. You can get away with that in theatre. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're sitting kind of further away. It's a bit harder on screen, which he's very, very talented. And I think he's he is incredible in the things that I have seen him in. Um, I just think it would have been really class if you got like a young actor. Yeah. You know, sure. a theatre actor who's... I really hope that they don't do some sort of strange CGI business. Oh, the de-aging, oh, yeah. like, uh, like the yeah. Irishman. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that. I was watching this. Um, do you know how these? Uh, we've been seeing all these kind of deep fake videos lately. Um, oh, yeah. I watched one that was uh, people putting deep fakes over the Irishman of young Robert De Niro, and I couldn't believe that it actually looked better than the oh actual yeah, one. Oh my god! And it was somebody just put it through like a computer program, and when you looked at the behind the scenes Irishman, like the amount of money they spent on like all these like three D renderings and animations and stuff, and it still kind of came out kind of uncanny valley. But I mean, I, th- I think Ben Platt looks just young enough to like that he'll maybe pass for a teenager. Just. I mean, if you watch Grease, uh, that has um, that of course has uh, what's his name? John Travolta. John Travolta. How did I forget John Travolta's name? What <laughs> hell? So it has John Travolta clearly in his thirties, Olivia Newton-John clearly in her thirties. So you know, what? we, for- we forgave them for Grease. Even with like other films as well, like you're watching, you know, a TV show. I can't even remember what it was we watched the other day, and. Oh, it was like seventeen again. You know, Zach Efron, like one of those yeah. sort of like films, something like that. And you're thinking, right, there is a whole pool of actors out there, and it's not that you know you need to be that age in order to play that age. I'm not saying that at all, but like it's a whole pool of actors out there who are in their twenties and still look the age of sixteen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yet again, you're seeing these like stereotypes and these very, very, you know attractive looking people who are in their 30s and are you know you know grown adults come in to play teenagers and it just gives such an unrealistic representation for young people that are watching it because they're like well I don't look like that and yeah you don't look like that because you're actually 16 and you're not 30 like yeah exactly yeah you don't have that Uh, full adult body yet I think that's why Tom Holland was such a successful like Spider-Man because he looked like he could be at high school yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then you got, um, like then you got Toby Maguire, who also yeah. looks like he's in his thirties and he's meant to be at high school. Uh, so yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward. To it. I think these are two great casting choices. I just hope that, like, I mean, this, I mean, this might get me like, uh, this might get me killed somewhere. But I mean, like, I hope they've got like good singing talent for the film because, like, I I watched Mamma Mia and I just thought like hearing Piers Brosnan doing that voice, <laughs> it just absolutely just absolutely killed it for me. So, I mean, I haven't heard Julianne Moore or Amy Adams saying. I'm sure they can, but uh, I just hope that, like, even though they're getting in these big, na- even though they're getting in these big acting names, hopefully that doesn't make the music fall down because the music is so striking and emotional in the yeah. in the musical. Yeah, it's such so a I just hard, hope that they do it justice. Well, wait, 
But Amy Adams did Enchanted. That's yeah. the only thing I remember from it. She was oh, at her yeah. voice was incredible in that. Um, yeah. I'm not too sure about, but um, yeah, it's a really hard show. It's a really difficult thing for the, you know, well, obviously um, he's done it on Broadway, so it's like, it's grand, but you know, it's, it's an amazing story and I think it's about time we're due another. I, I love, I love a good musical movie, so mm. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Grand. Well, fantastic. So I guess we better just wrap up the show for today. Um, thank you very much to my guests, Ailey Lone and Aaron Michael. You've been fantastic. Thank you for coming on and talking to me about The Lighthouse and other subjects. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. It's been class to talk to both. Fantastic. You too, boys. Grand. And thank you very much to David Campbell for giving me the opportunity to host one of the first time films podcasts after all this time I've been that left your, by the wayside that's your ego gone now that's your ego <laughs> exactly stroke, yeah, stroke my ego I am now the god <laughs> but, um, Grant so thank you very much for listening guys and hope to hear you soon